Who says so? And why should I listen? These are the kind of things that we hear in our culture today. And really, it's a result of something called relativism. It's been taught in our academic institutions, and it basically says, I'm my own authority. I determine truth. But is that really true? Or is there a higher authority? Jesus was asked the question by what authority he did what he did, and he answers the question with a question, putting it back on those who asked him. It's an intriguing topic, it's one of authority, and it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Mark 11, we're looking at verses 27 through Mark 12, 12. One hard question, one revealing story. Mark 11, 27. If you're new to the Bible, New Testament has Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the first four books. So turn over to the second book, which is the book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 27. It says these words, And they came again, Mark eleven twenty-seven, to Jerusalem, And as he, that is Jesus, was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and elders came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do these things? Now, these things is probably a reference to a couple things in terms of what's just happened during Passover week. The first thing is that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey, And he was being celebrated as the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the people were saying. And the religious leadership was not happy. And they were saying, tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus said, if they're quiet, the very stones are going to cry out. During that week, Jesus, uh, at the beginning of that week, went into the temple and he did something that we're all familiar with. He cleansed the temple turned over the tables of the money changers, wouldn't let people pass through the temple, and said, stop what you're doing. Stop it. And when he did this, he upset the apple cart for the religious leadership, because you need to know that the religious leadership had set up the court of the Gentiles, the outer court of the temple, as a merchandising scheme. They were making money hand over fist, and they were especially making big money at the Passover. Because at the Passover, Josephus, one of the historians at Jesus' time, says that a couple million people plus would descend upon Passover, one of the mandatory holidays for a Jewish person to come to Jerusalem. And pilgrims would come from all over the place. And it was huge business to uh, be selling sacrificial animals and doing money exchanges to get the proper uh, uh, coins and so forth. And so they were making huge money. And when Jesus went in there, he confronted them. And what he confronted was their very authority. See, they thought that they were the authority of all authority and that no one could stop them. And they probably weren't used to being challenged by anybody. And what does Jesus do? He goes in there and he upsets the apple cart. He turns over the tables. He he stops what's going on. He said, this house, my house, and he quotes the Old Testament, is to be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it, remember, a den of thieves. And they were upset with him. In fact, they wanted to seize him right then, but they feared the people 
because they held him in such high esteem. But they didn't listen really to what he was saying. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. What they were thinking about was their pocketbooks and their control. And so they have a question. They say, by what authority do you do these things? You seem to be a man who thinks he has some official status where which you can stop what we're doing in this temple. Isn't it interesting that people bring up the question of authority when they're being morally challenged? Think about it. A big part of the first part of this sermon is about authority. They've asked the question, by what authority? Usually people ask that question when they're being challenged morally. You say to somebody, you know what, that's not right. And they say, who gave you that authority? Who says what's right or what's wrong anymore? And for a lot of our culture, they don't know anymore. Because many of our learning institutions have been filled with what's called relativism. Relativism simply means all truth is relative. Truth is in the eye of the beholder now. There's no objective standard for right and wrong anymore. Who says? And now, since our country has been teaching the future generation that truth is not objective anymore, it's, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. What's true is true. Two plus two equals four, no matter how you feel about it. But I want it to be five. I don't care. It's four. You see, this is where we are in our generation. The up-and-coming generation has been taught this garbage. And now they don't even know if there's something you can plant your flag in anymore. They don't know if there's some objective standard. Can anybody really say what's true anymore? Can anybody? And think about the irony of this scene. They are confronting the one who is God in human flesh. God has cleansed his temple. Jesus is God in human flesh. Amen? Amen. And they're saying, hey, 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 God, who do you think you are? Jesus Christ or something? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? People are even questioning God's authority over them anymore. Well, I don't know. I, I actually think I'm my own God. Really? Yeah, I do. That's what Shirley MacLaine said. I am God. Doesn't that make me God if I just say it? That's my truth. Oh, look out. See, the God of the Bible, I don't know if you've noticed in reading the Bible, has a very dim view on other gods trying to be God. Amen? <laughs> in fact, he said to the people of Israel, you shall have no other gods before me with a small g. The God of the Bible is not acknowledging that there's a whole pantheon of gods equal with him. He's saying, look, don't have idols in your life. The temple had become an idol. The people in the religious leadership were really barring people who wanted to worship the God of the Bible by their merchandising scheme. Early in Jesus' ministry, he actually cleansed the temple two times early in his ministry, and now we're seeing the later one. Let's, let's uh, go to John for a second. This is an insightful look at the first time he did it. Jesus visited Jerusalem probably at least three Passovers during his public ministry. He also visited Jerusalem as a little boy. Remember when he was 12, his family came for the Passover. This is John 2, 16. John 2, 16. 
And to those who were selling the doves, Jesus said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise, John 2, 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for thy house will consume me. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us seeing that you do these things? Okay, if you're gonna do these things, show us a sign. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore said, to, said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking, what? Of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Bible students, if Jesus cleansed the temple twice within a range of about two to three years, don't you think that the religious leadership, after they heard him say this and do what he did, would have done some soul searching? Don't you think they should have said, my goodness, look at what he's done. Maybe we should take a look at what we do during the Passover. Maybe we should stop ripping people off and barring them from worship. But when he came back to cleanse the temple later on in his earthly ministry, what did he find? The same old, same old. They did not get the message, and so he did it again. Have you noticed with God, if you don't get the message... He'll keep knocking down the same tables in your life. Ouch. And all God's people said, ouch. <laughs> he showed up, and it's probably worse. And he did it again. He said, look, this house is to be a house of prayer, not a house of merchandise. And of course, because he did this, they sought to destroy him. There's some interesting uh, metaphors that appear during Passover week that we should just mention. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he's presenting himself as the lamb selected. We've uh, gone over this before, but when he rode into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, some people argue it was a Monday, he was presenting himself as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on that day he rode in, the people all over Israel would select a lamb, according to Exodus 12. And they would select the lamb on the 10th day of Nisan. The month was originally called Abib. It was the first month of the religious calendar for Israel, the beginning of months based upon the Passover. So this was all spoken to them when they were still in Egypt. They would keep that lamb until Friday of Passover week and kill it at twilight. Uh, in Josephus's writings, he says twilight was settled upon by the rabbis as three in the afternoon. What time did Jesus die? Three. three in the afternoon. At the exact time that lambs all over Israel were being killed, Jesus said, it is finished. Do you know that in rabbinic literature, one of the last things that the uh, high priest says during the Passover season, when everything's done and he's killed the lamb for the nation, he says, it is finished. And that word in Greek means paid in full. 
The imagery has now been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the lamb selected. Now, remember that that lamb had to be without spot or blemish. That whole week during Passover week, what are the religious leadership doing? They're asking him questions. They're inspecting the lamb to see if he was without spot or blemish. Did he come out without spot or blemish? Oh, yeah. In fact, at the end of the week, they don't want to even ask him any more questions. Because every time they bring something to him, he turns it back on them and shuts them down. He was the lamb inspected, but he will also be the lamb rejected. Because many of the people in Jerusalem and the religious leadership especially will reject him. In fact, they will turn him over to the Romans and ask for Barabbas to be freed instead of Jesus. Pilate no less than five times says, I find no fault in this man. His wife sends him a note while he's sitting on the bema, have nothing to do with this righteous man. I suffered many things in a dream because of him. Pilate tries to let him go. And the people, the religious leadership, stirring up the people, asks for a murderer instead of the Lamb of God. Of course, this is all what had to happen because Jesus came to die for the sin of, of the world. But the, pro- the temple was being exploited, and now Jesus has confronted the religious leadership, but they confront him. By what authority do you do these things? What gives you the right to do these things? Oh, simply because I'm God. I mean, how many things did he have to show them until they finally got it? You see, the truth is, brothers and sisters, they did not want to believe. They did not want to believe him. Hey folks, we'll be back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. I want to tell you about our brand new store at walkintruth.com. We have a lot of great products up there and we have a new product. It's called Dark Dangers of the Occult, where we actually look at the subject of demon possession, which comes up a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Go to walkintruth.com, purchase your copy today of Dark Dangers of the Occult, And when you do, you'll be partnering with us at Walk in Truth. Thank you so much. And now back to the teaching. And now Jesus has confronted the religious leadership, but they confront him. By what authority do you do these things? What gives you the right to do these things? Oh, simply because I'm God. I mean, how many things did he have to show them until they finally got it? You see, the truth is, brothers and sisters, they did not want to believe. They did not want to believe him. They had all the evidence. Go to Matthew 21. Here's a parallel text. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew 21. Look at verse 10. 21, 10 of Matthew. And when he had entered Jerusalem, 21.10, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee, Matthew 21.12. And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Notice this. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he what? And he healed them. Do you know he was doing miracles in the temple? And still they wouldn't believe him? But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, 
And the children, so they saw the miracles, and the children who were crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, the children were even calling him the Messiah. They became believers? No. (laughs) They became indignant, and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, thou hast prepared praise for thyself? Wow, notice, praise for who? Thyself. Who are they praising? Jesus is God. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. And then, of course, they hit him with the authority question again in Matthew 21, 23. Just take a peek at it. 21, 23, they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Again, the question of authority before us. Go back to Mark. The rabbis were very famous by quoting a string of tradition for their authority. When they preached, they would say, Rabbi so-and-so says the following, and they would quote that rabbi. Rabbi so-and-so says the following. On the other hand, Rabbi so-and-so says the following. You ever heard a speech like that? You're like, what in the world is this person trying to say? And then Rabbi Rabbi so-and-so says the following, but... Rabbi so-and-so, and you're like, do you have anything to say for yourself? Any original commentary here? And the constant refrain about Jesus is that he is one who speaks with authority, not like the scribes. Seems like they were afraid to say anything of themselves. And Jesus said to them, Mark eleven twenty nine. 29, I will ask you one question. Oh, here we go. You got questions? I got a question. Just one question. Pastor John is famous for this in our elder meetings. I just have one question. Okay, Pastor John. (laughs) Is he in here? We probably beat him up enough this morning. Anyway, he's dabbing his forehead. I will ask you one question and you answer me, Jesus speaking. Then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, Jesus was a brilliant tactician, wasn't he? And this was common in what's called the debate of the rabbis. When they were in debate with someone, they would answer a question with a question. And that's a pretty good tactic when you're debating someone. Have you ever noticed that good salespeople are like that? You know, you might ask them a question, and then, and then they've got you in the corner. What would keep you from buying this product right now? And you, you say, how did I get here? <laughs> and then they sell you that meat, you know, for the next 10 years that, stacking up in your freezer and you had to buy the extra freezer to put the meat in anyway that's that's a personal story <laughs> from many years ago <laughs> and that freezer does still work honey that's true <laughs> we should say that Jesus was always open to any honest inquirer. Anybody who came to him in honesty, he was always shooting straight. But anybody who came to him deceptively or trying to pull a fast one on him, then he turned it around on them. He's brilliant at doing this because it's pretty hard to argue with God. And so, although many of us try, right? 
So here's this question, verse 30. He says, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Okay, here you go. You want to know what, by what authority? I just have one simple question. The baptism of John from men or from heaven, which means from men or from God, human or divine in origin? Answer that question, and I'll be happy to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. All right, so the religious leadership, this doesn't seem that complicated of a question, but notice what they do. They began reasoning among themselves. They, they did something like this. Uh, may we have a quick sidebar that I might confer with my client? Okay, go ahead, boys. I don't know if the Jeopardy music was playing in the background. And they began reasoning among themselves, and they said, come in, come in close, huddle up, huddle, huddle. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? That's a problem. But shall we see, say from men, 32, they were afraid of the multitude for all considered John to have been a prophet indeed. Let's see. If we say from heaven, he's going to say, then why didn't we repent when John the Baptist was calling upon Israel to repent? And by the way, here's a little caveat that even complicates it more. John the Baptist was the forerunner prophesied in Isaiah 40 who introduced Jesus as the Messiah. Oh, that's even more prickly. You know why? Because if John was from heaven and he's the prophesied forerunner, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and introduced Jesus as the Messiah to the nation. And if John's from heaven, then Jesus is from heaven, and they've rejected the forerunner and the Messiah prophesied in the famous book of Isaiah. Oh, that's a problem. You see, Jesus is very strategic with his question. And if they say, oh, no, we don't think John was a legitimate prophet, you got a problem because thousands of people were coming out to John, and you remember, John was a radical preacher. People were being baptized left and right. The scene is humorous. They're on the horns of a dilemma. I don't know how long they stayed in the huddle. But if we say this, then this. But if we, no, no, but if we say that. They went back and forth, and they probably had a spokesman. <laughs> guy, guy got the short straw, you know. Comes out of the huddle, ready, break. 33, they answered Jesus. Uh, we, we don't know. <laughs> Isn't that great? We claim ignorance. Well, why were you huddled for 15 minutes? Because we, we, uh, we had to discuss how thoroughly and deeply we don't know. And we've concluded that we really don't know. <laughs> okay. Now, this is one of my favorite responses in the Bible. Then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> End of discussion. See, Jesus had a question about authority too. And he said basically this, is your authority God's word? Do you know that in your lifetime you have seen the forerunner arrive? Prophesied 700 years ago. You guys say you wait for this. You have messianic expectations. You can't wait until the Messiah comes. And now these things have happened in your lifetime. And what do you do? You won't believe and now, Jesus prophesies over Israel as he rides 
in on the triumphal entry. Now these things are hidden from your eyes. Sad. Now, Jesus is about to tell a parable, a hard question, a revealing story. That's today's message. We go into chapter 12. His parable has to do with authority and will reveal the hearts of the people that have just confronted him, and he turned it around on them. Move into Mark 12, verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. And he said, a man planted a vineyard. He put or built a wall around it, and Mexico is going to pay for it. <laughs> Sorry, but, you know, there you go. Anyway. just came to me during this week, you know? It's just one of those moments. He died. The, the New King James said he set a hedge around it. He dug a vat under the wine press, built a tower, a watchtower, rented it out to vine growers, and went on a journey. So notice the meticulous care here of the, the uh, vineyard owner. He's, he planted it. He built a wall around it, protection, put a watchtower up. He dug a vat under the wine press. He built a tower, and he rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now, without getting into a bunch of historical detail, let me just tell you that this is something that was very common in the day of Jesus in Israel. Of course, you know, there was a huge uh, uh, emphasis on this with the vines and the grapes and the wine in Israel. Wine was a staple in their culture. It was a picture of joy and life. And so, you know, if you've ever been to wine country before, you know you can see down in Temecula and so forth, you can see how all of this is done. And so he's got this property and he rents it out and uh, he goes off on a journey. Another one of the gospel writers says he goes off on a long journey. Now, to just give a little bit more background and clarity to this, I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 5. So if you'd all find the book of Isaiah, a little past the Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah 5. This is called the Song of the Vineyard. Everybody agrees that this is about Israel, and it will say that clearly, Isaiah chapter 5. And this is the backdrop biblically of the parable and the story that Jesus tells was happening in his day. You know, as we think about this vineyard and growth and all of that, I want to remind you about our website. It's walkintruth.com. We have a store there with a lot of products. But one of the things that we've added to the website is a new video devotional called A Step Closer. And I was thinking about, you know, how do we get a step closer in our walk with Jesus Christ? Well, there's a lot of things that we can do. We can pray more. We can get into the Word of God, worship, fellowship, even stepping out in faith and sharing our faith. These are all ways that we get a step closer. Instead of taking a step back today, take a step closer. You're listening to this radio broadcast for a reason. And one thing that you could do is go to the website right now, walkintruth.com, and scroll down and play the video devotion, A Step Closer. I know it'll bless you. It'll help you get a little bit closer. It's about a five-minute devotion. Go there today, walkintruth.com. God bless you. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, 
walkintruth.com.